0: This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast episode number 66. Today I'm hanging out with Liz, the founder of Seiko Designs. Liz was first introduced to me by a little TV show I love to call Shark Tank. Now I am a giant fan of this show and I first came across Liz and her beautiful mission and her incredible design. And now I like to call her a really, really quick best friend. You're going to see why in today's episode. It is honestly one of my favorite interviews to date. And I'm just so excited to share Liz's brilliance and her vision for changing the world for the better with you today. You guys are going to be obsessed with her after this episode, and I just can't wait for you to tune on in. You're listening to the Goal Digger Podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer, educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. This episode of the Gold Digger podcast is sponsored by HoneyBook. Honeybook is the management software that I use to stay organized, manage invoices, get paid, and give every client an elevated, unforgettable experience. Honeybook is offering 20% off exclusively for Gold Digger listeners. Just go to honeybook.com slash Gold Digger to get started and get your life back today. Hey, Gold Diggers, welcome to today's show. I am hanging out with Liz Bohannon of Seiko, and I first met this girl, and I'm saying met very loosely because I was basically watching her on my television screen as she was on the TV show Shark Tank, which as an entrepreneur, I love that show so much. I've never told anyone this, but I won the State Inventors Fair twice growing up, and so I loved like weird things like that. And so when I watched Shark Tank, I'm like, that was so My 12-year-old self trying to like change the world through inventions. But what I loved about Liz was she's just this amazing spirit. And when she got on the show, I literally looked at her and I was like, this is my girl. Like I want to be friends with her. And so it's, (laughs) it's crazy how full circle life is and how the universe just puts people into your life. And I've been so fortunate to work with Seiko this year. When they reached out to me, I was like all hands on deck, totally a yes, because I just believe in women changing the world world. And so it's really, really an honor to get to hang out with her. And we were teasing. We're like, well, this is real life, even though we can't even see each other. But It's probably better because I'm in my PJs in my bed (laughs) recording this. And so welcome to the show, Liz.
1: Thank you, Jenna. Well, to say the least, the feeling is definitely mutual. So I'm excited to take our long distance friendship and make it a little bit more close distance.
0: I can't wait. So, Liz, let's just kick off and kind of tell us, I mean, what you do, how you became passionate about it. Give us the story of Liz.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis or right outside of St. Louis. And went to the journalism school at the University of Missouri. And I studied journalism, honestly, I didn't have a passion per se for journalism. I was in, they have a really great J school at Mizzou. And so I was surrounded by a lot of kids that were like, knew that this was their path and this is what they wanted to do and they were super passionate about journalism. And my interest was probably a little bit more broad. I was more broadly interested in communication and in effective storytelling, I think is what it really came down to. And because my parents wouldn't help me pay for a degree in storytelling, (laughs) journalism (laughs) became a little bit more viable. And, And I'll kind of probably link back to this later in the conversation about why I'm very careful to talk about where and when my passions arose, because I really believe that passion is something that you start to build over time as you step into things as opposed to something that you find when you're on the sidelines. And that's something I care a lot about when I'm kind of telling stories is being quite accurate in my hindsight of how my passion emerged. And so that being said, I studied journalism and throughout my time in university became increasingly interested in issues that were facing women and girls across the globe. I was interested in Gender roles in general, yeah, just fascinated by the fact that every single person on the planet is affected by their gender and is affected by the society that they live in and the opportunities that they have and how society either rewards them or not based off their behaviors and that so much of that goes back to gender and yet it's just not something that's like super mainstream to talk about. The research around it is fairly limited as opposed to a lot of other areas and that affect as many people. And that was kind of just always a really fascinating nugget to me that why is it like so fringe gender studies is kind of this thing that, you know, when you meet someone that has a gender studies degree, you're like expecting them to look like they just stepped off the set of Portlandia, (laughs) but it's something (laughs) that affects all of us. That was kind of living in the back of my head, and then I became way more interested and invested in social justice issues. When I was in college, I was pretty involved with Invisible Children, and that was kind of my first intro into that world. And so slowly, as I kind of pursued both of these interests, kind of gender dynamics and gender studies and social justice... I became increasingly interested and passionate about where those two worlds collided, being how social justice issues like gender violence and discrimination and global extreme poverty and war affect, specifically affect women and girls. And so I was really interested in that, studied that, wrote about it, wrote articles and papers and all kinds of different things, and imagined that I would graduate from university And be hired as a journalist to travel all over the world and write about and report on issues that we're facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. Well, turns out that when you're 22 and you've never really traveled the world or left the United States and you've never held a real job in journalism, the New York Times is not knocking down your door to hire you for your (laughs) dream job. So I went in a kind of different path. I started working for a big corporate communication firm and did that for a whopping probably three or four months before I was like, what am I doing? This is not align with my why. I'm not making a dent in the universe in the way that I hoped. And on a daily basis, that kind of passion and that interest that I have is not being ignited. And so sitting there in my cubicle, about three months into my first real job, I bought a one-way plane ticket to East Africa. And my goal was if no one will hire me to do my dream job, I'm just going to go do it and see what happens. And so I bought a one-way plane ticket. I put in my notice at my job. You can imagine my parents were stoked about that. (laughs) And I moved to Uganda. And I started traveling around the country. And really my posture when I arrived in Uganda was just to be a sponge, to learn as much as possible, to ask good, hard questions about what women and girls were facing and what challenges they were experiencing, what was working, what wasn't working by way of solution. And so just kind of started asking questions. And Through that process, long story short, ended up meeting an incredible group of young women in between high school and university. So these are women that come from all over the country, top 5% of students in the whole country. So we're talking like very bright, driven, academically gifted young women who all come from backgrounds of extreme poverty. And they were testing into university, but in Uganda, there's a nine-month gap in between high school and college. So there's this, like, institutionalized, essentially, gap year so that students that test into college can find time to find a job to make money to pay for it. Basically, what was happening at this, essentially, college prep school that I was working at for these really gifted young women who come from really disadvantaged backgrounds is that they were going back home during that gap year And two things were happening. One, there was no economic opportunity for them. That was kind of the no-brainer was the money issue, that they couldn't find jobs. They were competing with boys in the same village for the same economic opportunities, and they couldn't afford to go on to college because they couldn't find jobs. And then secondarily, but just as important, there was this kind of loss of social support. So all of a sudden, they went from being with, like, 25 other, like, bright, passionate committed, you know, top of their class students from all over the country who really believed that as women they could go on to be leaders in their communities back to their villages where they were kind of freaks of nature. They might be the first women in their entire village to have gotten to high school, let alone graduated and had aspirations of university and beyond. And so they were facing a ton of social pressure to get married and dowry and bride price and all this crazy stuff and not continue pursuing their dreams. And so of anything that I saw in Uganda, I was like, hold up, what? Here are 25 of the brightest women in the country. And the reason that they're not going to go on to university and pursue these amazing crystal clear visions that they have for becoming leaders in their community and making their country and region and our world better is because of this gap year issue, surely we can do something about this. And so kind of put my pen and my journalist hat off to some degree and- Started, I tried a couple different things. It, I, first, I wanted to start a nonprofit because I was an American in Africa, and that's the only thing that I knew how to do or thought you could do. And through a lot of researching and asking some really hard questions, became really convinced that, This specific challenge did not need a charity or a nonprofit solution. And that if we wanted to fix these specific issues, but then have kind of a broader effect that I could really stand behind long-term, that I wanted to create a market-based solution for this issue. I wanted to do something that would generate jobs, that would contribute to the local economy, that would help overall economic development in the region. And so this is when I get to tell you that my, you know, really cool ethical fashion brand actually started out as a chicken farm so I tried that for a while Uh, (laughs) you know naturally that's how most fashion brands start right so I started a chicken farm that failed terribly I actually live in Portland Oregon now and we have chickens because you know Portland and I swear on a daily basis they're just there to remind me of my past failures So my chicken farm failed, and then my next idea, which at this point, keep in mind that I was literally just like, well, at this point, all of my ideas have failed, and came up with this idea to make these strappy, funky sandals that had a leather base and interchangeable straps that you could tie and style in different ways, and I ran with that and kind of prototyped these sandals. That was a really funny season of life, literally traveling The entire country by motorcycle trying to track down materials. And then I went to the school and I hired three young women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca and basically committed to them. I said, okay, here's the deal. Here's how you make these sandals. And if you make these sandals for the next nine months, I promise that you will go to college in the fall. And they were like, okay.
0: And I was like, (laughs) sounds good.
1: (laughs) And we made sandals together for several months. And then I moved back to the U S and started selling these strappy funky sandals out of the back of my car which you know of course is definitely what your parents want you doing with your college degree and that's kind of how it all started
0: It's incredible. So when I saw your story on Shark Tank, I was like, gosh, this woman, like she has this vision, she's going after it. And I love even hearing about the failure because I think so often we don't share those, you know, not an attempt to hide it, but it's just not necessarily part of our story that we want to highlight every day. And so it's so refreshing to hear that season of, you know, what am I doing and how can I make this work? What was it like then when you went on Shark Tank? And how did that whole process unfold for you?
1: <laughs> it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life that I don't ever want to do again. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably how I would define it. You know, I carve out about 30 minutes every week for my big audacious dreams. And this is like my 30 minutes where it's like, okay, I've got a Big problem, and I'm just going to, like, wave a magic wand, and if nothing else mattered, money or realistic or whatever it is, what could we do? And my big problem at the time was, like, we need more people to know about Seiko, but we don't have a budget to do that. What's, like, the number one, how could I drive the most eyeballs to our website and get, you know, a platform to share the Seiko story with zero dollars? And there were, there's basically two ways at the time that I knew how to do that and that was Shark Tank and Oprah. And Oprah unfortunately was just in the process of winding down her show and that was <laughs> Shark Tank. And so honestly during one of my kind of 30 minutes, it's on my calendar, like big dreaming, 30 minutes on Friday, I filled out an online form to apply a shark tank. I didn't go to like an in-person thing. It was just literally like did it through the website and then honestly kind of filed it away as like, well, check that off. Chances that of that actually comes to fruition pretty low. Well. well, actually it wasn't. They contacted me. It was probably like a year long process of back and forth. And so we had to make videos and we had to be interviewed by the producers and like all this crazy stuff. And then finally, we got a call. They, like, really keep you in the dark. We got a call, and it was like, hey, you need to be in L.A. in 48 hours. You're going to be filming this episode, this show. Are you in? And, of course, we were like, yes, we're in. So in, like, 24, we, like, ran to Home Depot, built a display, like, pulled an all-nighter the night before, figured out how to pack it in a way where we could actually get it down to L.A., And then we did the dang thing. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, there aren't, again, that many ways that you think we had like maybe 15 or 16 minutes of airtime for $0, which is pretty amazing. And, And so it ended up being an incredible platform for us to kind of get to share our story about the work that we were doing. That being said, it was also incredibly challenging because the parameters obviously of Shark Tank are you're raising capital, right? And the Mm -hmm. interesting thing that was happening for us is that we were actually raising capital in real life. We were doing like a little angel round, but we had gone through the valuation. We had said, this is what we're worth. We had raised about three fourths of our round at that point. And so we were like, great, we're going to reserve the last fourth for a shark. But the position that that put us in was we didn't really have a ton of negotiating room, right? Mm Because it's like, we couldn't go back to our other investors and be like, well, They cut our valuation in half. And so that was a really big challenge that we really decided to kind of, I think what ended up happening successfully is we took that kind of sticky situation and said, well, this is great. The negotiation part then is going to be very boring. And let's keep the financial part as boring as possible so that we have more bandwidth and opportunity and time to actually share our story and share kind of the brand vision. And so that's what happened. So the cost of it was, of course, if you've watched the episode, you know, we didn't get a deal that, you know, you get rejected by five people on not live television, but you know, in front of millions of people. So to be totally honest, there was like a level of like having to like kind of check my ego and deal with that. But the outcome of it and the experience and the opportunity definitely goes down in history of one of the most valuable experiences, both on a personal level and for our brand.
0: It's incredible. What was the impact after the show aired? Like what What happened for you guys? What did it look like for you guys? Because I have seen so many people that go on that do not get a deal, but their business just explodes. Were you able to keep up with the demand after the show aired or was that a concern?
1: It was definitely a concern. And yes, but only because we had been planning for months and months. And you know, the hard thing is the whole time we're planning, you don't know for sure that you're going to get on and then you don't know for sure that you're going to get aired. So there's kind of all of these like, but, 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 if, if, if clauses, but we went ahead and definitely like invested in our website, really strategized about, you know, when people land on our website, how are we, because it's a new customer acquisition channel, obviously, than our typical customer and how they're hearing about us is very different than how our typical customer is hearing about. So we spent a lot of time and energy strategizing, preparing, beefing up our website, beefing up inventory so that we were really able... Recognizing that this is kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, we really wanted to have our strategy and stuff together so that we could capitalize on that. And sure enough, I mean, I can't remember the actual numbers, but our web traffic increased by like a few thousand percent, and we did more sales in 24 hours than I think we had done in the last three or four months combined. So it was definitely kind of that shark tank effect was very much so. Even though, you know, we quote-unquote lost... The fact that we were able to kind of have this platform to share our brand story and then had lots of new customers as a result of that. And, you know, people like you, we're still hearing, you know, we still hear of people that even if they didn't go on and purchase that night. That their original introduction to us was through Shark Tank, and they're you know running reruns, and it's kind of the gift mm-hmm. that keeps on giving. <laughs>
0: it's amazing. One thing that I love about you that just even through hearing what you've gone through and stuff, you are very strategic and you're so smart. And I think that I've talked about this before, but I used to feel like being strategic felt and using that word felt like conniving or like mm-hmm. what's in it for me. But I think that as women entrepreneurs, it's such a gift and everything that I do has purpose and strategy behind it. And I think like just in hearing the way that you prepared and planned and thought this through and, you know, strategized even your pitch to them, I think that it is so, so evident how incredible of a gift you have when it comes to marketing. So talk to me now about, you know, your marketing efforts and what that looks like and how you can spread this vision and message with people who might not get to see the firsthand impact of the work you're doing, but want to get behind that social cause that you have.
1: Definitely. Well, a couple different things. One is I, I learned really early on and for anyone who's listening specifically who is, social entrepreneur, which, you know, I kind of loosely define as someone who's using business and creating a marketplace solution to solve a social problem. And for us, it's to solve a social problem that's kind of typically gets relegated to the nonprofit sector. Here's something that I realized really early that was really completely changed the way that I think about marketing and branding. And that is that your mission and your impact is not your brand it's an important part of your brand, but it's not, I I think for years when I, in the very beginning of Seiko, when people would ask, well, who is Seiko? What I would say is, well, we employ women in between high school and university. And I would tell them our impact model and that's it. And while I think that that is an incredibly important part of our brand, the thing that I've realized about storytelling and about marketing is that you always have to be thinking about the person hearing the story and always have to be thinking about, How is their story going to connect to this story? How does their participating in this brand actually speak not just like a broad truth because it's like, yeah, we're all like in general good people who want the world to be better, but like a really hyper specific truth about some belief that you as a company have about the world. That will connect with your consumers and a belief that they also have about the world. And if you can connect those whys and not just the what, because our impact model is our what, right? So I have this deep belief about the future of the world and about women and girls and about gender equality and about a rising tide and about dignity and opportunity and connecting women to each other that might not otherwise ever cross their paths, this is the why. And then out of that is born this impact model. Well, this is how we do it in Uganda. This is how it works. And there's this nine month program and savings and scholarship. And then this is the product that we're selling. And this is how we're doing that. But those are all how's and what's. It's the why and really in a compelling way saying, well, well, what is different about us that really sets us apart that's going to tap into that like very deep belief that a potential partner or a customer might have, and then allowing everything to revolve around that.
0: I see you over there, racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to the life of an entrepreneur. No one told you about all the hats you'd have to wear, and they certainly didn't warn you about all of the numbers. Challenging? Absolutely. But our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. Now, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud, Accounting software. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. Freshbooks is not only easy to use, it is also packed full of powerful features. Now, Freshbooks is offering a 30 day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. You can do things like create invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and see when your client has viewed your invoice so that awful guest game is finally put to rest. In order to claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash goal and enter Goal Digger in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's incredible. And that is like so well articulated. (laughs) Like, I think that so many times. I actually just finished up an interview with a cause that I'm very involved with, which is Healing Waters. And we talked a ton about the nonprofit model and, you know, how hard it is to communicate when you're so passionate about something and to make people feel what you feel because you've seen it firsthand. And so we talked a lot about storytelling and how can you tell empowering stories. And I think that you have like, hit the hammer on the head with that. And the Seiko partnerships that you've made this year, can you talk a little bit about that? Because the way that you approached it and the women that you encouraged to join and the partnership, I have Winnie, she's my girl. Um, Could you just share a little bit about that? Because I think that that campaign is just so encouraging and you're leveraging your resources. You are serving other people and you're doing so with people that are such a fit for your brand in such a beautiful way. I'm just so excited about it. So share a little bit about that idea and how you guys kind of approached it.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the kind of why, what the why does, and this is why it scares a lot of people, is because a lot of people think that the more specific they get with their why, the more they're gonna alienate people. And that's not true. And I say, I was actually just on a Facebook Live this morning talking about how, if you gave me the chance to stand in front of a room and tell you my why, and if at the end of it, 99 people, I said, well, who agrees with my why? And 99 people raise their hands and we're like, "Eh, you know, it's a broad enough, general enough, feel good why. Like, yeah, I'll raise my hand. Versus if I get done speaking and 99 people are like, "Eh, it's probably not for me, but there's one person that's like, oh my gosh, she's my person. That's my belief. That resonates so deeply. I have goosebumps. That's putting language to something that I felt for so long. I would take one of her over 99 people that kind of like broadly, generally agree with the why. And that kind of sense is what kind of dictates and motivates all of our partnerships. Everyone that we're working with is that is like, is she our person? Is she in our tribe? Does the language that she uses, does the way that she views the world, does the way that she talks about herself and her place in the world and and her vision and her belief about the world and about herself, if it aligns with our why, then we're like, this is awesome. And all we want to do is create beautiful and I think mutually beneficial partnerships. So for the program that you're talking about, or the initiative that you're talking about, it's our Soul Sister program. So that's S-O-L-E, of course. And our heart behind that is saying like, hey, I believe it's infinitely more compelling to tell one story. Then to kind of say like, oh, buy this product and in general, you're kind of helping someone somewhere because that doesn't, it's really hard for your customer, your audience or your partners to connect with that, right? Like it's so big and it's so broad and it can feel really overwhelming. Whereas if I can create a one-on-one connection and say like, listen, this product this action this you know partnership that you're involved in this is the impact that it's going to make on the life of this one woman in Uganda so your soul sister is Winnie which i love and i was just able to meet Winnie for the first time about about a month ago and i'll tell That's you a little amazing. bit more about that but all of a sudden this like big problem of like global gender inequality and extreme poverty and lack of educate you know access to education becomes Winnie's story. And it's about Winnie and the things that make her specifically as a woman in the world unique and come alive and what brings her to life and what brings her joy and what her challenges are. Because I really believe that one of my kind of passions as a brand is saying, man, if I can make that connection, you know, Jenna to Winnie. Jenna in Wisconsin to Winnie in Uganda. Two women that probably otherwise would never cross paths. And their relationship, their interaction can cause both of them to go, wow, we actually share a lot more in common than I would have thought. You know, there's something about our belief in the world or our goals or something that makes us laugh or something that we like to eat for that matter that feels similar that we can align on that that's where like really true transformational stuff starts to happen when we recognize the humanity that exists in the other, if you will, and the other that looks different than us, that speaks different, that lives in a different place. And that when we really get that, when all of a sudden this issue isn't just like this kind of huge issue, but it's like your friend, your sister, your soul sister, your partner, that our ability to really engage in the long haul and engage in a way that's actually just like authentic and meaningful and real becomes infinitely greater.
0: Oh my gosh. You're just brilliant. We are best friends. I just want you to know that. One thing that I think is so cool about what you're saying is that every business owner can learn from this idea. And I think that one of the biggest issues that entrepreneurs have is that they're trying to speak to everyone. It's Mm -hmm. so broad. It's one audience that's a generalized audience and they're not speaking to anyone because they're not speaking clearly. Their story Mm -hmm. is not clear. And so I love that, you know, it all starts with one and people say that, but they don't actually do that. Like they don't Mm -hmm. live like that's true. Like everyone's like, I get it. But you know, even for me, a shift in my business was when I first started, I wanted to be the right photographer for every single engaged couple. And Mm -hmm. I bent my brand and I changed my messaging based on who I was talking to. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking to that room like you said of 99 people that were like eh okay like if I need a photographer maybe yeah. but I, when I shifted that mindset and was like no I'm speaking to 20 people out of the entire world that are getting married in the next year it totally changes the conversation yeah. and you are just so smart in that and I think it's even more admirable because your cause is so much greater than one person it, it could feel absolutely paralyzing at times yeah. I'm sure because you see this giant need but if you start with that one, it's kind of like a cell where all of this, the pieces of the cell come together. And if you're reaching the heart of it, you're going to reach all of the outside, all of the people that are just like that heart center. And so, so Mm. stinking brilliant. Like you are so smart. Oh my gosh.
1: And it is, and it's fun. It's fun when you kind of are able to be released of that pressure to be everything to everyone and make everybody happy. And it ends up in a bunch of platitudes that you don't really feel that excited about. And then when you really speak, find your kind of very specific why and speak your truth and you start to attract those other people, it's inc- it's just fun. It's great. And I think another, I mean, for us, a huge thing is, you know, you kind of ask like how this storytelling piece of, you know, how do you convince people of this belief that you have or this truth or this passion that you have? And I think a big part of it for us too is helping Other people define their why and how our brand happens to be a part of that and allowing their stories to incorporate that, but then also to be really, really unique in their own ways. So how Jenna, you and your like place in the world and your brand and your followers and fans and friends, you know, there's reason that people follow you. And there's a reason that that you have influence because you've served those in your community so well. And there's something really specific about you. So when we do a partnership, it's super important to us of like, I'm not looking for someone who can just like cut and paste something that I wrote about our brand and share it with their Mm -hmm. audience. Like the sweet spot is when my why is specific and crystal clear enough that you get it. And your why is specific and clear enough that then when you kind of combine those in my story and your story are able to intertwine in a really authentic, meaningful way, like that's when magic happens, I think.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. What is like your biggest challenge right now with work? Like what is something that you're just working through or season or something that you're in? Because I feel like talking to you, I'm like, this girl knows her stuff. Like, tell me, <laughs> tell me something that I'm like, yeah, Liz, I could totally commiserate with you just for a minute.
1: Oh gosh. There, I feel like every day, you know, part of it is there's new challenges on the horizon. I think right now we're in a really exciting Season of Seiko. I would say the first year or two, I'm just such a starter. I love new stuffs. I mean, I love the season where it's like nothing exists and we're figuring out how to connect the dots and really kind of putting those initial pieces together, like it was, in, you know, when I started Seiko, probably the first year or two. And I think that we're in a season right now where we're kind of back in startup mode. We've essentially completely changed our entire distribution model. We just to kind of give you a high level. We were online and working through a network of about 600 stores across the U.S. who are carrying our products. And Ben and I really kind of sat back. We met some pretty big goals in Uganda that were like on our 10-year goal list. And we really sat back and we asked this question of like, okay, we've put all of our heart and soul and energy into – We call it hijacking the production and manufacturing model. So the traditional production and manufacturing model as we know it today is basically don't ask, don't tell, right? Mm -hmm. Like That's what most brands that are selling you products are just hoping and praying and crossing their fingers that you're not asking questions about who made it and where did it come from and how much money did they make and were they treated with dignity. And they're winning if you don't ask those questions and if those people stay as invisible as possible, Our whole goal is saying we want to completely turn that up on its head. We want to take that traditional model. We want to hijack it. And we want to put the makers, the artisans, the producers at the center of the story. We want to create radical transparency. We want to use manufacturing and production to kind of hijack that model and create opportunity and community for women in Uganda. So after we kind of got to a place where we were like, you know, For many, many years. And and I say this because it's so important for me that people that are listening to this, that are pursuing their dreams, that are running a company, that are starting an initiative, know there's no such thing as a silver bullet. And for years it felt like we were barely keeping our head above water. It was like, we're literally trying to start a manufacturing company in a country that doesn't really do this. We're trying to hire 19 year old girls that don't have any background in what we're doing to become producers of excellent, high quality, beautiful product. There were so many mountains that felt completely, you know, impossible to climb. And for a lot of that time, it was like, And are we going to make it? And is this too big? (laughs) Is this crazy? So that being said, I don't say lightly like, wow, you know, six years in, we started hitting some major milestones, not because we discovered a silver bullet, but because we were really faithful to keep showing up and to keep taking small steps in the right direction. But that led us to a place where on the US side of things, we were able to start asking a really scary question that all entrepreneurs should ask themselves and they should be asking themselves this especially when things are going okay which things were going okay in the u.s we were growing our wholesale distribution we had several hundred stores across the country we were doing the thing going to the trade shows doing retail the only way that we knew how which was through traditional retail and we asked a very dangerous question (laughs) which was like hey this is good could it be better In a very honest way that allowed for like, get your ego out of the room, get your fear out of the room, get your insecurity out of the room. Could it be better? Is what you're doing the absolute best? Is who you are as a brand, your strengths, your special sauce, your resources, the people on your team, given all of that, is the company that you're running right now the best possible fit for the company that you could be running? And the answer that we came up with was no. Which was really scary, and you're like, "Why did I ask this why question did again?" I <laughs> yeah, yeah, revert, revert, reverse, go back. Exactly, because that kind of sent us into a little bit of a tailspin because the answer was no, and we realized that we had all of this passion and heart and this really strong mission around our business in Uganda, and we didn't have that same heart or passion for our business here in the US, which is essentially selling and marketing and distributing the product. And so we started asking this question of like, well, could we hijack the retail model in the same way that we've hijacked the production model to do the same thing, to create community and opportunity for women right here in the US? The need is obviously very different. There's some similarities, but it's really different. And one of the needs that started to emerge was I was getting contacted on a multiple times a daily basis of women that had found out about Seiko or had had some interesting experience and were like, I believe in social enterprise. I want my gifts and my skills and my talents to align with my work. And right now they don't. What should I do? Can I come work for Seiko? You know, do you have any job openings or could you spend 30 Mm -hmm. minutes with me talking about my business idea? And of course the answer to most of those things, unfortunately, because we can only hire so many people and I only have so much time was like... No, oh, I'm sorry, which made me feel terrible. But we realized that there was this huge need and this kind of groundswell of women specifically and energy that was out there of people that really wanted their work and their skills and their passions to align with their beliefs in the world. And, and so we started thinking, well, could we basically hijack the retail model to engage those women and to create kind of a best in class social entrepreneurship bootcamp meets sisterhood of the traveling sandal like community (laughs) that I wish I would have had when I was starting Seiko eight years ago. And not only could we do that missionally, but could that actually be a viable revenue stream? So that was a huge shift. And so we're really in a season of for the last like 18 months of kind of back in startup mode and tons of testing our ideas and figuring things out. And I'm really excited to say that It's working and it's working better than we could have imagined. And the impact that we're able to make is increasing. And it's actually in a year, in our first year of doing the fellows program, the of fellows program, we did more revenue that year than we had ever done in wholesale, ever. We were able to triple the amount of scholarships that we offered to our team in Uganda because of these amazing, bright, bold, passionate social entrepreneurs who were kicking butt and taking names But our struggle right now is really a growth struggle now, of figuring out, okay, we found this model that works and we wanna grow it because we wanna be the biggest employer of women in East Africa. We wanna we want a seat at the table. And when I mean a seat at the table, like I want our people, my team in Uganda to have a seat at the table with the president of Uganda talking about policy and talking about labor laws and talking about gender discrimination. And the only way you get to do that is if you're a pretty big player in the economy, right? So we have big goals and what we're figuring out now and the struggle that we're kind of thinking through is how do we grow in a way that will help us create that massive impact, but maintain a faithfulness and an intentionality in our culture and recognizing that culture is queen, and how we communicate with each other and the types of people that we're bringing on to our team and how we're setting them up for success and, you know, how we're finding the one person out of the 99 in the room, as opposed to a couple and, you know, a handful out of the 99 and parsing through that. And how do you identify that? That's what I'm kind of eating, sleeping, breathing. That's my challenge right now.
0: That's, I mean, that's a big challenge, girl. Like, <laughs> Go get some coffee and let's tackle this. <laughs> Something I think is so cool is you know, I incredibly agree that our generation, like we want to make impact. And I truly believe that like, we want to leave this world a better place. But so many times, we just don't know where to start. And I think that, you know, even you sharing, like people are reaching out to you every day, wanting to know things. And I always struggle with this, because obviously, I'm a sharer. like this podcast itself is free education, because I want to equip people. But it puts us in a really tough position, because we've created this brand, that says, like, come to me, I want to help you. But our bandwidth is only so wide. And it's looking at like our energy and where can we put it to make the biggest impact. And I think a lot of times it can paralyze us who have created this bigger mission and we have this bigger mission, into, I mean, I could be trapped in my inbox for days if that was okay. what I was spending my time on. And do you ever deal, I mean, just tell me yes so that I feel less alone, oh, but no. do you ever deal with like guilt with that? Because I will get so many emails every day and they're so heartfelt and so intentional and so purposeful. But like if I spent the time responding to every single one, I would never be able to create things like this.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm with you. Everything that you just said, I'm like, I feel that I do that. Yes. So here is, and I was actually just talking to a friend about this, a really helpful shift for me has been, and you know, part of the reason that we created the fellows program, honestly, is so that I could say yes, more often, right? So that, Mm -hmm. so that there are women, I used the problem. And I think this is a huge thing. So many people are looking for opportunity, opportunity is very hard to come by. And if you told me to like walk out and go find an opportunity, I would be like, okay, that feels really overwhelming. If you tell me to walk out the door and go find a problem, that's easy. That's low hanging fruit. And if you just tell me to find an interesting problem, that makes it a little bit more fun. And all of a sudden, I believe that's how you find opportunity, right? So for me, Literally what you're saying, that like deep heart psychological struggle that I was literally feeling, it was almost like dread. I would open up my email in the morning and I knew the course of feelings that I was going to feel, which was going to be like, oh my gosh, this person's so amazing. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that they like took the time out of their day to email me. How like humbling and amazing oh my gosh, they're asking me for something. And oh my gosh, I so badly want to give it to them. But oh my gosh, I don't know if I can. So that was one of the problems that really was what the Seiko Fellows Program was born out of was like, hey, could I create a solution that would actually be able, I could offer people something that they were asking for that I currently am not. So I could offer them a sense of community. I could offer them guidance. I could offer them you know, an inside look on all the hard lessons learned and, you know, struggles with being a social entrepreneur, but also like the training and the motivation to like do it and to go make an impact in the world. And so that's really, you know, what that was born out of. And I think you've done a brilliant job of this. I feel like you listen to your people and to your community. And I feel like you're always coming out with amazing, you know, curriculum or, and I'm guessing that that's probably based off of, wow, I've had a hundred people ask for the same thing. Instead of taking 45 minutes out of your day to have a Skype meeting with a hundred different people, could I create curriculum or a podcast segment or, you know, some information that could live that would be available for these people to partake in in a way that actually is also sustainable for you as a business owner. And I think you, from what I can tell, you've done, and I would say out of a lot of people that I follow and a fans of, I think that you've done a really incredible job of that. And I think for me, so much of it comes down to remembering that every no that you say is actually a yes to something else that you've committed to. So when I say no, I can't help you with that thing or I I don't have the time or capacity, remembering that the reason that I have to say no is because I've made a very big yes over here and I, have to be faithful to that. I have to be faithful to my employees in Uganda and my employees here in the U.S. And I have to be faithful to this mission and these massive 5, 10, 30-year goals that I've put out. And I'm saying yes to that when I'm saying no to anything that doesn't align with that or that could distract me or take away from that. I think it's much more compelling to remember the things that we're saying yes to than to get really bogged down and to feel really guilty about the things that we're having to say no to.
0: Absolutely. I feel like, you know, when people talk about mom guilt, I'm like, I have like entrepreneur guilt. <laughs> but I feel like when you do have this higher calling and this higher purpose, and I looked at what my year was and I was like, what is the biggest thing I want out of this year? And I'm like, impact. And it's like, if you want to impact the masses, You have to have a bigger plan than email or like coffee dates, you know, like you have to have a bigger mission. And I love how very clear you are on that because I think we need black and white sometimes. I think we need really hard yeses and hard no's so that it's not this like intermingled thing because me feeling guilt is not going to further my mission at all. And, you know, being able to say, hey, like, I hear your answer, I'm going to do my best to get you some sort of response through the education or through the podcast or through my blog or whatever, you know, duly noted, you've been heard. But, you know, due to a volume, we can't respond to everyone. And it's been so beautiful. And, you know, I also think that Like this is, this might sound crazy, but like those who pay, pay attention. Those Mm -hmm. who really invest in something that they believe in, it furthers the cause even more because they're going to be more successful. You know, their success is your success. And I think it's just a really cool cycle. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, gosh, I can't believe I get paid to like do what I love, but at the same time, it's still work, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're so right. And having that vision for that one person, that if you're empowering them, then they can go on and create their own amazing, you know, we had a woman who applied for an in-house position, and we had already filled it by the time she emailed me. And I was devastated because she seemed awesome. But it was like, I'm not hiring, you know, I'm not running a billion person company. I can't hire everybody. I had one position that I was hiring for. She followed up and she's like, this is what I'm interested in learning about. Is there anything that I can do? And we had just launched the fellows program. And I was like, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but if, if you're truly interested in learning, you should join us and you should become a fellow. Fast forward a year from now, she's a marketing professional. She just quit her full-time job. She has a team of probably like 35 or 40 other social entrepreneurs That she's like the CEO of Seiko in her state, essentially. That she is like training, mentoring, coaching, like coming alongside like she is doing for those thirty women what I absolutely would not have the capacity to do. And to be completely frank, because she's finding her own tribe of people, she's probably speaking to them in a way that I couldn't, that's more effective, that's more inspiring, that's more compelling, that's more connected. And that is what truly motivates me. You know, that it's like, if I can create a a system, a program that I can invite people into that enables them and empowers them to then take kind of the nugget of our why, but then go create their own why and do stuff that I never could have dreamed of doing Doing. And you know, and that's what's happening with your community as well. That it's like if you're creating content that's accessible and that's engaging, and they're learning something, and then they're able to go out and probably pass that knowledge on to a hundred people. That for whatever reason. You don't have the capacity, or maybe the even the ability or the voice to be able to do. Like that's so fun to me,
0: isn't it? Crazy. It's so cool. It's just so funny because I think a lot of times we're like, "Who am I to change the world?" I am just one woman. It's like I am just one woman, and I can take on and raise up leaders to come alongside of me. And there's no such thing as just one woman. Like I am woman. Hear me roar. My mom used to say that all the time growing up, and I'm like, Mom. (laughs) Well, I could talk to you for hours I and days know. and this is just the start of something beautiful but where can everybody find you connect with you purchase your amazing stuff guys i have the leather backpack and i use it on the daily oh, um so that.
1: where awesome. can everybody connect
0: with you and seiko
1: we are on the interwebs at seikodesigns.com and that's s E-K-O, designs. If you spell it in a weird way and put designs and then maybe throw Uganda in, you'll find us. <laughs> on the internet at com. you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and, and all the places using com. And we would love to hear from you. And that's where you can find us.
0: Absolutely. And guys, just go check it out. Liz is teaching so many things that so many of us can learn from. And it's just so awesome to connect with you. I have connected with your mission years ago. And so it's even more sweeter knowing you and the heart behind it.
1: Well, likewise, I feel so similarly. And it's a dream come true to get to partner with you and also to spend an hour of my day chatting with you. So great.
0: Thanks for listening to Gold Digger